You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. So, I'm not actually going to be following up from Sunday. I'm going to be preparing for our next series, which is uh, teaching from the Gospel of John that we'll be doing for a few months. Um, So, do you remember this game, Last Person Standing? All right. So, I know we haven't given you any information, so this is just what you might know, true or false, about the Gospel of John. So, everybody stand up. Okay. Everybody standing. So, our winners so far, we had Neil... Uh, we had Reese, we had Mark Shaw, and Jeffrey, I think. Is that right? Okay, there are winners so far, so let's see. No pressure. No, Jeffrey, was it not? <laughs> I think it was. All right, here we go. First question, true or false, the Gospel of John contains 20 chapters. So I'm going to tell you, so decide, decide in your mind whether you think that is true or false. Okay. If, if you think that is false, you can stay standing. Okay, very good. How many chapters? 21. All right, good. I think we might have only lost one person. Not bad, not bad. No pressure to that one person. All right, next question. The writer of the Gospel of John is believed to be the brother of James. True or false? Okay, if you think false, please take a seat. Sorry about that. Okay, so yeah, it was, so James and John, sons of Zebedee, that's the Apostle John. Okay, all right, next question. The writer of John, of the letters of John, John 1, 2, and 3, is not the same as the Gospel writer. So the letters of 1 John, 2 and 3, is not the same as the Gospel of John writer. Okay? Alright. If you said true, please take a seat. So the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John, John 1, 2, and 3, and which other book? Revelation. Revelation. Okay. We are whittling this down. There are five Johns mentioned in the New Testament. There are five mentioned in the New Testament. What do we think? Okay. If you think false, please take a seat. Whoa. Okay, next question. John most likely wrote his gospel while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Only those who are still in the game, please. So, he wrote the gospel while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Okay, if you said false, stay standing. Okay, false, you stay standing. Okay, all right. (laughs) The Mormons changed John 1, 1, to say that the word was a God. True or false? Okay, there's lots of people taking part in this, so let's... If you think it's true, by the way, just raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. All right. If you thought it was true, take a seat. All right, Reese. So, Reese, who who did change it? You don't know. Okay. So, David. 
Jehovah's Witnesses. They changed it, not the Mormons. So, Reese! Okay, uh, here is just a couple of other facts about the Gospel of John. Uh, the earliest remaining fragment that we have of the entire New Testament uh, is actually from John 18 and is dated from early 2nd century, not mid. Okay, And you can find it in Manchester in England. Um, the Gospels of John and Luke are non-synoptic. Anyone know what that means and is that true or false? That's false. Why? Luke is a synoptic. So synoptic means that it's a, a summary or a synopsis of the life of Jesus, whereas John is not, and I'll explain that a little bit later today. Okay, what about this one? More than 90% of John's material is unique and not found in other Gospels. It is true. Yeah, pretty amazing. It is true. All right, well done. Reese. congratulations. Does he, does he get a little... Uh, Candy? Yeah, I think so. Oh, they're at the front here. God, I read. Okay. So, one of the reasons why we're doing um, a gospel is this is what Dallas Willard says about who obviously is the kind of the father of spiritual disciplines. Uh, he said, the content of the gospels must come to life in such a way that the Gospels become a permanent presence in and possession of the mind of a disciple. He says if, if we are planning on learning how to be like Jesus, if we are wanting Jesus to, to focus on him and for those spiritual disciplines to produce anything in our lives, the Gospel has to have a permanent presence in our lives. We need to know it we need to live it. We need to feel it. We need to be able to identify it and grab hold of it. That's how important the gospel should be. And I remember when I became a Christian, I, I started reading through the New Testament and Jesus just came to life. Because I learned about him, obviously, growing up in church, learned about him in my Bible studies with people that, I, that, that they were doing for me. But it wasn't until I began to really wrestle with the Gospels myself and read them and try to apply it that suddenly Jesus became larger than life. It was amazing. And I think that that's to keep hold of that joy, to keep hold of that focus is an amazing intention for our Christian lives. So I'm really excited that we we're able to do this. Okay, so the Gospel of John, what is it about? So as we said, it is not a synopsis of the life of Jesus. It was written for one single purpose. And this is that purpose. The Gospel of John was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So even John himself says, this is why I wrote this. This is how significant and how focused my writing is and why it's so different even from the other Gospels. It's believed that it was written later than the other Gospels to give a different viewpoint, a different slant on focusing on Jesus. So the Gospel of John contains two lots of sevens. This is a very blurry picture, sorry about that. But 
The first one is the seven I am. So the seven I am statements. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. So if you think about the purpose of the Gospel of John, why is it that John highlights these seven I am's if the purpose is to believe? Yes, that's right. So he's completely, immediately elevating Jesus. So there's no question of a doubt that Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. When we see Jesus, hear Jesus, learn from Jesus, we are learning from God. There is no one else that we need to look to. We are so blessed to have everything that we do in Christ. So it points us back to this this confirmation of who Jesus is. And there's a reason why in a moment, actually, and I'll explain why that was so important to the original audience. So John wrote his gospel to convince people who didn't know of Jesus that Jesus was the Messiah and to also strengthen the faith of people who already were in Christ and who had accepted Christ. So it has a twofold purpose. To bring people to salvation through the belief in Christ but also to shore up those who are in Christ so that they can remain saved, keep focusing on Jesus. And so I think even for us here on the West Side, it's an amazing gospel for us to look at. Because as we are focusing on Jesus with the goal of our faith being perfected, um, then there's no greater book I think that we can look at to learn from. And as God is bringing more and more people to the West Side, they get to hear about the truth that is in Jesus, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4. So it's an amazing journey that we'll be able to be on together. Now in the Gospel of John, there are John, he has a, there are these prominent phrases that he focuses on. And in John 20, verse 13, 31, he even says what the three prominent words are that we see throughout the entire Gospel. And these are them. So it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believer you may have life in his name. So what is he saying? He's saying here that there are so many other things that Jesus did. Do you know how many signs are in the, gos- in the Gospel of John? Yeah, how many signs and miracles do you think there were in the Gospel of John? Hands up if you think that it is um, tw- around 20, around 15, around 30, okay, around 10, okay, between 5 and 10, okay, so it's only 7. There's actually 8 if you include uh, the fish at the end, uh, when he catches the fish and sits there um, with Peter. So, but it's actually only 7 signs. Whereas all together in the other Gospels, like you've got almost 40 different miracles mentioned. But he only focuses on seven. Why, why would you do that? He says, because the seven that I'm going to talk about, they are enough for people to believe. They are enough to lead people to salvation. They're enough for people to think about Jesus being the Son of God, our, our Savior. It's all that you need. Pretty amazing. Okay, so, so signs in the Greek, by the way, if anyone's interested, 
The word that he even uses there in signs, in the Koine Greek, it says it's a word that isn't just miracle, but it's a, it means a sign that, is a, that implies that there is a meaning behind the, the, the miracle. So he doesn't just come up with any random miracles, but he says there's a meaning to each one of the signs or the miracles that we see in the Gospel of John. So I have a little exercise. I'm going to break up our night tonight in a couple of ways. So these are the seven signs. So what I would like you to do, and I'm going to divide up the hall into seven areas. What do you think could be the meaning of each of the signs of Jesus that John chooses to put into the gospel? Okay? So, you guys at the very back, you can have, so the back two rows, you can have the first one, Jesus turns water into wine. What is the meaning behind that sign? Okay, the next Maybe three rows or a couple of rows. Jesus heals the official son. That's yours. Next couple of rows. Jesus makes the lame walk. Front two rows. Jesus feeds the multitudes. Back row. Jesus walk, Back two rows. Jesus walks on water. Next two rows. Jesus gives sight to the blind. Front three rows. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay? Alright. Go for it. Okay. So not with Jesus turns water into wine. I think this is the toughest one. Sorry about that. Josh. <laughs> so from the first one, um, I'm going to have Catherine, if you don't mind, sharing the second part. She pointed out a really good point to it, too. Um, but Jesus' first miracle, it's funny because for a long time, um, I really wondered why. He turned water into wine. Why would that be the first miracle? But we have a key in the passage that Mark pointed out that it was speaking God's glory, or the glory of God. And then we think about the water to wine. We know at baptism we come into contact with the blood of Jesus. If you look into the scripture, if you look into stone jars, it says that they're ceremonial. Jars, right? For purification, the purification jars. We know that the purification jars are used in the Old Testament for baptism. That's why they were big, large jars of old black wine as well. So, for God's glory, His first miracle wasn't just to throw the biggest party or show when to bring out the best wine, but really to show God's plan of salvation. I didn't happen to say the second part, which is really. Well, oh, it's just oh, maybe think of First John five seven and eight. For there are three that testify: the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are wow, that is um, that's a mic drop moment. Like that was wow. Very good. Thank you. All right, next one. Jesus heals the official son. Okay, next group. Uh, so, you know, just having a conversation with different people, uh, kind of come together that, um, you know, Jesus healing the official son, that miracle, uh, required the official to believe without really seeing um, the miracle. And so, uh, in the scripture says, he took him at his word and he departed. And so, um, I think that, you know, if we take Jesus at his word, that we can, you know, take Jesus as word and believe. And I think that uh, the really interesting thing, too, is that the official was not a Jew, right? And so right. his whole household 
So his, his, his belief and his uh, salvation, I can say, was extended to even Gentile at that point. That's great. Yeah, thank you. And it's almost, it fits in well even with the end of John. He says, many will believe who haven't even seen. Right? So that's great. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful. All right, next one. Jesus makes the lame walk. He's the Lord of Sabbath. That's an underlying theme, that he's the Lord of Sabbath. How could you heal on a particular day, etc., etc.? I'm the Lord of Sabbath. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah. He asked him, do you want to get well? And the man never really said yes. Yeah. After the yeah, thank you. I think the Lord of the Sabbath one is interesting because it, this was not written to a, Jew, uh, a Jewish audience. So they would have had no... But at the same time, though, it was... So John wrote this... Um, when he was in, uh, living in Ephesus, so a very Gentile city. And so they were, they were being torn. Some were throwing them into confusion, not for, for um, going back to Judaism, but actually for embracing, bringing in maybe some of the pagan practices. So even there he's saying, listen, even though you've got, you come from these pagan religious backgrounds, Jesus supersedes anything that has gone before that. Whether it's your Jewish Sabbath practices or whether it's, you know, worship of Diana and, you know, an Artemis, like all of that, he, he supersedes all of that. So, yeah, thank you, that's great. All right, Jesus um, feeds the multitudes. Okay, well, it says, when Jesus looked up and saw the crowd coming toward him and said to, to Philip, Where shall we buy the bread for these people? So he was testing them. He wanted to see their faith. He wanted to see if he would have faith that he could feed all these people. Yeah. That's kind of yeah, that's good. That line as well, I think it's trying to show that this, this could be one thing, but his message is just for endless. Right. You know, we try to maybe restrict it, and even the early church did to some degree. But it's, it's endless, it's boundless, it's limitless. You know, nothing is, just, no one is beyond being saved. No people are too many, you know, for Jesus. So, but yeah, that's great. Okay, Jesus walks on water. What do we think? Aaron? Aaron, is that you? Um, yeah, so, so in that story, in the scripture, it says that um, when they had run up three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were afraid. Um, so when John starts off, his gospel starts about a lot differently, um, where he's sort of referencing faith, one and two, love. And so he says that in the beginning, um, the word, uh, the word was God, and the word was God. I think what he's actually doing is, Trying to draw hyperlinks over to Genesis chapter one, um, where in the beginning it says, "Now the earth is formless and empty; darkness is over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God is coming." Jesus is God, and Jesus is the Spirit. And so, if you're you know, a person who's a Jewish man, you see something hovering over the water, like 
This is the first thing that's supposed to drive you back. Exactly. Oh, John's kidding about the whole Awesome. Thank you. Love it. Feel nourished. Okay. Next group. Uh, Jesus gives sight to the blind. Um, so we kind of like to discuss um, what we're I don't think we have time to like talk all together. There's something that we were discussing. Um, something that actually stood out to me is actually verse 39 in memory. The, the scripture Bible, so the translation might vary. But what this says is that um, Jesus said, I claim this the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. And I think like, what's left to me is that like, with God you're going to see regardless whether you're born blind or in this case, like you're going to be open to the truth. And like if you already see, like you're going to be humble to the truth. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. And I think, you know, I thought about that. I think the message is so powerful in this gospel that it can overcome people's blindness to belief in God, to Jesus the Messiah. It, it, and in fact, it's so much that he says, listen, even if you don't believe, put it into practice. And, even, and then you'll still believe. Like, that, it's, it's amazing. All right, final group. Uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Reese, do you want to go? You summarized it well. Shadow of Jesus' resurrection. And um, it's that, you know, I think in the gospel he gives a lot of foreshadowing to his death, and the disciples still never really get yeah. it. They actually appear to them. Even at that time, when they see that opening tomb, they think that the soldiers took his body and, like, put it around. They just said they still didn't understand the scriptures that he was So, I think even in him doing this, it's amazing that they raised Lazarus and raised Lazarus from the dead. And they don't think that maybe that's what yeah. Um, but he says to, I think, is it Mary or Mark that goes up first? But maybe you didn't want to. But he says, um, oh, who is here is going to die. He says, oh, the right hand. I know the right, even on the last day. But he says, it's not an I am saying, it's an I am the first person. Yeah. So, I think that teaching. Great, thank you. Thank you. So, that's a fun to what is the real deeper meaning that John is trying to get across. And so I really want to encourage you that as we read through, because we're not going to get to cover everything um, in, our, in our sermons and in our midweeks, but hopefully you can maybe be doing it as part of your own quiet times and just really look for some of the deeper messages behind it. So I'm, I do, would like us to finish at eight, so I'm just going to f- um, finish through the last few slides. So there are some theological considerations when we look at this. So each miracle or sign that we see points to the deity of Jesus and his messiahship, as I said, to bring people to belief in him. The word believe is mentioned 98 times in this one gospel. Isn't that amazing? More than, basically, more than any other book in the Bible, more than all the other gospels put together, more than all of Paul's writing, it's amazing. In this one gospel, we see this word. But this word doesn't just, remember when Mark and Karen did that great sermon for us on belief? This belief here is a, is a very active verb. It's, it's used in such a way that says that we must, 
entrust ourselves. So it's like the highest form of belief. And that through that belief, that brings that, that entrusting into Jesus, if we truly are entrusting ourselves to him, that then brings life. So the goal of this belief is to lead us to a greater and fuller life in Christ. And this was a, a commentary writer who, who mentioned the same thing. Belief or believe in John is stressing an active and a vital trust in Jesus. Okay, I'm just going to move on. So the main focus points that we will see in the Gospel of John as well, as well as belief, is to point us to a life in Jesus. And so my prayer is that by the end of our study, that our life in Jesus will be so much richer even that it is already right now. Other Gospels focus on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Amazing things to focus on. John focuses on life in Christ. He focuses on this being a new life in Christ and he's trying to remind the the disciples already that you're living this new life that is different from the people of the world, different from your old religion. It is new and it needs to stay new and stay different. Can you think of any scriptures where Jesus talks about life in Christ or life in him, in John? What does it say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Excellent. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, another one? Okay. I think it's more focused on eternal life, but how about this this current life before we even get there? Melissa. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so I have two just quick thoughts. So John 10, 10, John 14, 6. So he's, he really wants the disciples to enjoy their life in Christ. There is nothing greater. There is nothing worth more than that. It is the greatest life that we can live. Why is he reminding them? Because some of them are deserting the faith. Some of them are going back to their pagan religion. Some of them are even having their, their worship in Christ be diluted by influences of the world, the world in Ephesus at that time. So it was really needed to be focusing back in. Interestingly, the word life appears a total of 36 times in this entire gospel, more than all the other gospels, and it's even more than. So Paul, he talks about life quite a lot. In all of his letters added up together, he talks about life 37 times. So John, one behind in just one gospel. That's how central and how important it is. Okay, it was written for two purposes. One was to bring people who didn't know God or Jesus at all, so they would have taken those miracles at face value of who is this person? That's amazing. But then there would have been people who were disciples already who perhaps needed to see the deeper meaning behind those things. So you're, you're right. It's, I think it's both of those. They're both equally very powerful and good reminders for us. Okay, so if we think about this, I'm just going to bring this in here. So as we spoke about this whole idea of life, Jesus says, I am the... What's the first picture? The bread of life. The bread of life. He's like... I'm your breakfast, I'm your lunch, I'm your dinner, I am your everything. Your absolute everything. That's how significant I am. And John's reminding us, 
just how important he is. I love John 8:12. It says, when Jesus spoke again, he said to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. This is amazing. But will have the light of life. We have the light of life. In this dark world around us, we are here with our flashlights shining the way. Whereas people look at your life at work and they're like, there's something different about you. What? Why? Because you have the light of life. That's how amazing. He talks about, and I'm looking forward to our studying this, our lives being so intertwined with Jesus that we remain in the vine. That our sustenance comes from him, our life comes from him. That the fruit that we produce comes from him. Not just white knuckling it until heaven comes. But we're enjoying this amazing life in Christ. That's all that we get to to discover through this gospel. Okay, so we we do want to finish off. I was hoping that we would have enough time to do this. And I've got some questions. So there's some homework because we're not going to get to study this on Sunday. But if you would like to do this for a quiet time over the next couple of days... You could do question one for, for, for Thursday, question two for Friday, question three for Saturday. And then on Sunday, we'll have a sermon on John chapter one. Um, but if you could take a, yeah, a picture of that, that would be great. And then you feel free just to think on a deeper level about some of the text within John chapter one. It's really amazing. Okay? All right, wonderful. Okay, we are finished. It is 8 o'clock. So what I'd like us to do is just to pray uh, just with the person next to you and just pray that God will reveal to you Jesus in a new, refreshing, revitalizing way through this series. Okay? All right. Amen. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.